Hey, good morning. How are you guys doing today? Good. Um, how's your week been? You had a good week? I've had a terrible week. I'll just tell you right off. Um, turn with me while, while I'm telling you about my week. Uh, turn, turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. That's uh, right after uh, Proverbs. If I can find it here. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Number one, um, you know, I never had allergies before, but you know, like I, these allergies are killing me this week. I don't know about you. Any of you had this problem, this allergies this time of year? Like there isn't even anything out there, and I'm like dying. I've got this headache all day long, every day. Number one. Number two, my wife left me. <laughs> and number three, Pastor Chuck left us. It's been a horrible week. My wife's coming back, though. That's good. Let's read Ecclesiastes chapter 7, the first couple of verses there. It says, A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to, a, than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of every man. And the living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. And the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. I, I, I just love this passage. One, it, it kind of sets us free in a lot of ways, um, you know, in terms of sorrow and being sad and, and mourning. It's okay to mourn. It's okay to be sad. You know, sometimes we're, we're told, you know, you just got to be up all the time and you got to be, you know, on top of everything. But he says here, you know what? It's okay to mourn sometimes. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, Jesus said. And it's been a sad week since this happened Thursday morning with Pastor Chuck. My wife left on Tuesday. Pastor Chuck left on Thursday. And, you know, I just can't, I just can't believe, you can bring it back up now. I can't believe that it, it, that it really happened. You know, when, when someone passes away, you just, you just can't even believe it. And it's not like I saw him every day or anything like that. But... But, you know, I was preparing uh, and I was working on my study in First Thessalonians and then all this is taking place and I sat down yesterday to try to put my notes together and I just could not do it. I just couldn't do it. And, and I, I just felt like this is the direction I was supposed to go and it just kind of like came together, the different passages. I spoke some of these uh, things on uh, the Thursday night live radio program. But it's, it's, it was a sad day. Now, it's not sad for him. That's what he says here, right? The day of death is better than the day of birth. It's, it's great for him. It's wonderful. He's excited, but, you know, many of us are very sad about that, and I'm, I'm going to tell you why. The next point I want to make about this, he says there, a good name is better than fine perfume, and, and this man had a good name, and he had a good example. Was he perfect? As we'll see, no, he wasn't perfect, but, but, but he was a good example. He was a good man. And he was a good example and a good uh, for, for all of us to follow. I want to read to you from um, Pastor Bill Holdridge, which some of you know, who some of you know, uh, he uh, writes about Pastor Chuck, and uh, he says these words, and uh, bear with me. He says, Pastor Chuck has moved, changed address, 
Specifically, he relocated from his earthly body to his heavenly one from time to eternity has gone to be with Jesus. He says, Chuck's influence upon my life is almost indescribable. I can't say that I knew him well, at least not on a personal basis. I spoke with him one-on-one maybe 15 times over the years, at the very most. Yet the gist of those conversations remain with me. He had that kind of effect. I really didn't need to speak to him more often than that. His words were protein to my soul. Pastor Chuck, he says, was the one preaching the gospel of Jesus the very first time I ever realized that Jesus' death on the cross was on purpose and was for me and the whole world. In that same evening, I learned that I could not only go to heaven when I died, but I could know that I was going to heaven when I died by receiving God's gift of salvation by faith. That was November of 1969, Bill writes. In 1979, he says, it was Pastor Chuck who let me into Calvary Chapel as an affiliated pastor. I hadn't even applied, he said. One day I saw my name on the list and I was in. He gave me an opportunity. I don't know if I'd have received an opportunity elsewhere. That's an area where Chuck really shined. He allowed the equivalent of David's mighty men to come into the ranks and serve as pastors. Listen to this uh, line here. I really like this. He says, we were not the cream of the crop. We were the crop that had been creamed by our sin and by our past. But the Lord had plans for us, and His power began bringing those plans into fruition. He says later, I learned to take steps of faith no matter what the cost. The Lord is always faithful. He was always faithful to provide where He had guided. In short, he said, Pastor Chuck was used by God to open many doors for me and others. He was a risk taker with men that he believed were called. And I will be eternally thankful for that. Chuck's example of the style of ministry, the life we should live, the purpose and joy of ministry we should maintain, it all spoke volumes to me and still does. His, quote, simply teach the world, simply teach the word, simply, unquote, approach to Bible teaching was our model, and we sought to do the same. He says, Pastor Chuck will be missed, but he has left a lot of himself behind in my life and in the lives of countless other pastors and leaders all over the world who are better servants of Jesus because of the life of Pastor Chuck Smith. Isn't that incredible? You know, he's affected my life too. Well, why, why is it... Why is it affecting me so much, you know, he, he has affected my life in incredible ways. Of course, I, I give all the glory to God, and Chuck would always say, give the glory to God, don't ever touch the glory, and he may not even like it if he knew we were talking about him today, but he can't stop me now, so I'm going to do it anyways. It was through Calvary Chapel that I came to know Jesus, that I met my wife, and that I am here today through Calvary Chapel. Pastor Chuck, was, Pastor Chuck was part of this explosion of, of what they call the Jesus movement in the late 60s and, and early 70s and then stretching on beyond that. And really kind of, and these are just some of the highlights, really inspired really by his wife, they had 
they had this heart, they developed this heart really to reach the hippies of that generation, those searching young people. And you know, I was one of those young people searching. I had blonde hair, believe it or not. But so many things came out of that time and, and so many things came out of the, the ministry of, of Calvary Chapel and Chuck. You know, uh, verse by verse teaching of the Bible. Uh, contemporary Christian music was birthed through all that. Maranatha music was started through Calvary Chapel, the first uh, contemporary Christian music um, to, to kind of hit the scene. He would give these, these long-haired, crazy-looking people opportunities to play their songs and and he didn't come from that kind of a background. In fact, uh, if you look at some of the, the services, even their Sunday morning service, you go, wow, these are really, really conservative. You know, there's a piano player and maybe an organ or something, and they're very conservative. He wears a suit and tie and everything. You can look at his last message. But much of the modern church as we know it was affected by this ministry. Not just that church, but it's spread throughout the whole world. So much of the modern church today ha has its roots kind of in that Jesus movement and Calvary Chapel and, and Pastor Chuck. One of the young men that were saved at that time, one of those David's uh, um, men, and, and Bill's kind of making a um, reference to them in his letter. Uh, he, you know, they were those that were discouraged, that were... Um, that were in debt, and there was one other thing. They were kind of like, they were not the cream of the crop. They were creamed. But one of them was Mike McIntosh, who went from Costa Mesa, from Orange County to San Diego to plant a church. And it wasn't long after that, he wasn't there that long in San Diego when someone invited me to go to that church. And Bill and I were talking about this morning, this theater in San Diego, they had, they'd, they'd, they'd been in a, uh, kind of a, a, a hall, but then they moved to this old theater, this abandoned theater that once had shown, you know, uh, X-rated movies, was now a church, and they had gone in there, and they'd fixed it all up, and they were, they were having uh, services in this church, and, and someone invited me there, I, you know, they had a lot of music happening, a lot of free concerts all the time, and someone invited me there, and I was, like I said, one of those young lost people. I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know what life was really all about. I didn't have a clue. But someone invited me there, and, and uh, you know, I, after a while, I, I kind of fought it for a while. I did. I fought it. I can remember fighting it. But then later, I, I, I uh, dropped out of school. I was in college. I dropped out of school. I went back home. And I went back to that church, and I began to go there, and I and, and just uh, hear the gospel, and and uh, I heard about Jesus from the Bible, and it was in a way that I could understand. It was in a way that I could relate to. It was it was just down to earth. It was real. It wasn't like this spiritual, you know, mumbo jumbo. It was like wow. And I received Jesus Christ as my Savior, September first, nineteen seventy six, at that place where Mike McIntosh had come uh, with 12 people out of Costa Mesa. I soon went to Calvary Chapel Bible College in Twin Peaks, California, which is, is another hour and a half north of San Diego. And this was a ministry of Pastor Chuck's church. They decided, well, let's start a little Bible school. 
so we can help train some people. They had, there was always this idea, we want to help people, we want to send them out, we want to do what we can. And so they started this little Bible school, and it was, a, it was like 11 weeks long. It wasn't a long program. But I went up there, I, I just wanted to learn. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't, you know, this was in 1977 now, about a year after I had accepted Christ. I went to that little Bible school up in the mountains. They had, they had uh, got this... this uh, conference center, beautiful place in the mountains, just a, I went up there and, uh, and just, to, just to learn, and, and uh, I met my wife there, I met Paula there, and later on we got married, and, and first we went back to San Diego, and we later got married, and, and uh, we, we went to uh, the Bible school at San Diego, at Mike's church, and, and then we we, um, through that, we, we got involved in, go, in, in, in ministry in England. And we went to England for a month, and then we, after school was finished, we went for a year, and then we came back to San Diego for a year and a half. And then we went back to England for two more years, and then we came back and we uh, were involved in a church up in Central California in a place called Visalia. Anybody know where that is? Visalia, nobody, a couple... And we, we, we were there for a while, and then it was time to go back to the mountain. Went back to that place, that Twin Peaks, where I had met Paula. See, her parents lived up there. And so we went back to Twin Peaks, Lake Arrowhead, California. And we got there, and I started a little, you know, handyman business. I was just doing stuff just to survive and make it. And uh, it, it ended up that the Bible school... Now the Bible school had begun, you know, this is many years later, so they were much more developed. It was like a two-year program. And uh, they had a need for a teacher there, and I thought, there's no way. There's no way. But someone said, my pastor said, why don't you, you know, apply? I said, there's no way. There's, that's not even possible. I mean, I'm, I'm still like green as, as green can be. But I, I did it anyways. I applied anyways. And you know what? <laughs> they said yes. <laughs> and I could not believe it. But this is kind of, this is the heart of, of, of what uh, Bill was saying, that, that, that Chuck would give people opportunities. He would give people chances, not because of how cool they were, not because of how smart they were, how, of how in, you know, incredibly intelligent they were. It's because God was doing something in their lives. And God was doing something in my life. I didn't know what I was doing. I think mainly they, they mainly hired me. This is what I think. They mainly hired me because I knew how to play the piano. That's really what I think. I really didn't know how to teach, like, you know. But when I got to that school, when I started teaching there, I told the director, um, and, and this, again, this school is a, a, the ministry of Costa Mesa. Pastor Chuck is the boss. He's the boss. But I told the director, whose name was Rich, I said, you know, I, think that, I just think that God's going to send us out somewhere. And I, I think we're going to go and plant a church somewhere. But, you know, I'll, you know, I mean, it, it doesn't even make sense because, you know, I didn't think they would even hire me. And then when, after they do, I say, you know, but I may not stay. Like, he probably looked at me like, you are really something else. Like, <laughs> But, but I, I just told them that from the beginning, and, and uh, I was honest, and, and you know, we, we, 
we looked into going back to England. I remember making phone calls, and, but it just wasn't, it wasn't God's plan. And so somehow we got this idea, well, we liked England. How about New England? That's about how spiritual I was and am. And, and so uh, we just started saying, well, let's just, like, check it out. And, you know, we, we began to check it out. I, you know, I made, we made a couple of trips in, into Maine because we had a couple of contacts in there. But Pastor Chuck was so encouraging, he would, he would give me letters. He heard that I had, had wanted to do something, you know, had a heart for New England. So he'd give me letters. People would, would write in and say, hey, we love your program and, and your radio program. We love the ministry. We, do you, is there, you know... A church out here or is there a church that you can you know is there somebody going to come out here or something like he would pass those letters on to me and then um one time i heard that uh that he was going to come out to the to the to the uh east coast pastors conference there was only one out here on the east coast at that time there's like i don't know five or six now but this was the east coast pastors conference it was held in new york in the finger lakes and uh, I, I went down to Costa Mesa from Twin Peaks, and I, and I waited to talk to him. I said, I hear you're going to that, that conference. And he said, yeah, would you like to come with me? And the rest of the people are coming. And I said, I thought to myself, well, yeah, that's what I was hoping you'd say. <laughs> so we, we, we came, and I got to go with him and Don McClure and, and Gail Irwin and, and other people. We, we came out to New York, and, and uh, you know, we got there, and, and I made, it, made some contacts there, uh, some more contacts in New England. Now, don't um, try to correct me afterwards. I know that New York is not part of New England. I know that. Okay? I've been here a long time. But, but we got more contacts in New England through that conference. We went back, and, and, uh, and in the end, we had about, uh, I think it was about four or five contacts that's all, about four or five. And, and a couple of them were pretty kind of solid. We thought they were pretty solid of places that, you know, we could go and, and start a Calvary Chapel. And, I mean, looking back now, I think I was insane. You know, because, because we'd, we'd only been at the Bible college for a year. And you, you almost kind of just get things rolling. But, you know, again, I told him, and he said, yeah, I knew you were going to do that. Because you told me you were going to do that. And so I, I gave my notice and I said, okay, but we're going to go. And, and uh, I didn't know where we were going to go. I didn't know where we were going to land, where we were going to live, where we were going to start a church. There was one student, again, at the Bible college who, who was from New York. And his parents had a big farm uh, in New York. And they said, you know, he said, you know what, um, you can come and you can, you can uh, stay there. And so I knew that we weren't going to be living on the street, at least. We could stay there, but it wasn't, it wasn't even very close to New England. I mean, we're way in, you know, over in New York by Cobleskill. And so, so uh, we got there, we, we, we packed up the truck, we packed up this old station wagon, we put our four kids and my nephew, five kids in the back of this station wagon, and pulling a little U-Haul trailer with everything we had in there. There was a piano in there and then our clothes and some, some other stuff. It was a small trailer. We got, the, we got to New York. We, we left our trailer there at the farm, and we started going throughout New England meeting people that, that we had had these contacts with. That's, that's really how it happened. But, 
But this whole story kind of ties in with Chuck because Chuck was like, go for it. One of his favorite sayings was, go for it. And, and I can remember being at my, my mother-in-law's house and uh, calling him on the phone and saying, you know, Chuck, um, we're, we're leaving to go out there. And, uh, you know, I just want to know, like, is that okay? And, you know, can we be part of this thing? And he said, he basically, you know, it was one of these conversations like Bill had, you know, it was short and sweet. He said, he says, you're in. You're, you're definitely, of course. And so I knew then that he was like, he was supportive and that, and that we, were, we were part of this family. He took me into this Calvary Chapel family when, again, I, I didn't know anything. I didn't know where I was. When, when times got difficult, we came out and we, we ended up in Rhode Island. You know the story. We left for a little while, but Rhode Island is really like the bomb. That's the place for us. And, and we, we came back. We're here. And, and things get difficult in all of life. But, but planning a church is not an easy thing. My, my director, uh, Rich, he said to me, you know, and I, and I sat in on one of his classes about pastoral ministry. He was teaching one of the classes at the school, and, and so I sat in on that, and he had a whole section about church planting and all this stuff. And, and he, said to, he said to me, you know what, church planting, he said this in the class, he said church planting is the hardest thing that he had ever done in his whole entire life. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking, well, that's him. You know, it's going to be different for us. You know, it's going to be different for me. <laughs> what an idiot. I got out here, and you know, it was the hardest thing I'd ever done in my entire life. And he was right. I called him up and said, you were like, you were like completely right. In fact, it's, at one point, I called him up, and I said, can I come back, please? I, I'm just, I'm done. I can't, I got to come back. And he said, well, sorry, but there's no place for you. We filled your place. It's, that's just the way it is. But I remember going to a conference and, 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 and through these years and, and, and seeing Pastor Chuck, and I would, I would tell him from time to time, you know, just a few conversations, maybe standing in the food line or, or just, you know, one of these short conversations, and I'd say, you know, it's really hard. One time I said to him, I just I don't know if I can make it. I really don't know. I was ready to completely just quit and go back somewhere. I don't know where I would go, like really, but... But I went to him, and, and he said this to me, and it was, like, it was like he was saying this only to me. He said, just give, he said, just give it another six months. Just give it another six months. He said, you've been you know, breaking up the soil and planting seed and watering and doing the, you know, doing the things. Just give it another six months and, and see maybe what the Lord will do. And so like from that moment, I, I, the clock started in my head. Like I knew six months to the day when that was going to be like, okay, okay. Like I later found out that he told that, he, he told that same thing to a lot of guys. <laughs> now that's either, either because they all face the same thing or it was just a good thing to tell people. But during that six months, you know, things started looking up a little bit. It never, it's never like mushroom, like some Calvary chapels are like, like mushrooms, they just like explode. You know, you go down to, you know, Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, and they got, you know, 15,000 people or whatever. But, but not every Calvary Chapel is like that. And, you know, typically, literally, uh, probably the most are, are smaller churches, like, you know, percentage-wise, smaller churches like ours. 
and especially in New England. There's a couple that are larger, but nothing even like Florida or California or Albuquerque or some of these other places. Um, so we decided to stay. And I would see Chuck every year at the conferences. And uh, he was just encouraging. You know, he just had that big smile. And uh, he just loved us. He knew we were all losers. And he just loved us. And he just, you know, he just was an example. And he just taught the Bible and, and, uh, and, and showed us kind of like, you know, how to just teach the Bible. Just teach it verse by verse. Just show people what it's about. Just, just tell them what, what it says and what it means. He had such a love for God. He had such a love for the Word, and it impacted so many people. And, and uh, to repeat what Bill said, he said, Pastor Chuck will be missed, but he's left a lot of himself behind in my life and the lives of countless other pastors and leaders all over the world who are better servants of Jesus because of the life of Pastor Chuck Smith. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. I want There's some verses I want to look at that... that um, that really bring his life, but, but also encouragement for our lives together. Matthew chapter 25, in verse, starting in verse 14, the parable of the talents, we're going to just read part of it. It says again, verse 14, It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. And the man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. And after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful, faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The rest of the story, the man with two came and he told them the same thing, but the one with one, he, he hid it in the ground. And it didn't go so well with him. But these words really uh, stuck out to me. And I think, I think for anyone who's serious about serving, anyone who's serious about uh, following after Jesus Christ, I think the heart is that we would hear those words when we enter that gate. When we, when we stand face to face, that we could also hear those words quoted to us. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, he starts off with. And, and uh, I just want to break that down. Four different points. Well done, he says. Well done. What that says to me is do something. You can't say well done if you haven't done anything. Right? right. And, and one of the things that we keep, it keeps coming back up to, to us 
here is that you need to do something. You need to use what God has given you. I hear from people who say, you know, I, I, I'm not connected. I'm not this. I'm not that. And, and, my, and I always come back, well, are you doing anything about it? Are you doing something? Are you doing anything? Are you trying to connect with people? Are you trying to step out and do what God has, has perhaps called you to do? I will try to help you find something. I don't have, you know, I haven't got like this master email list that, that, that God sent me with your names on it and saying, you know, this is what you should do. But I will try to explore avenues because there's something you can do. Not everybody is going to be a Sunday school teacher, but there are a lot of other things you can do to step out and, and, and do something. You're, you and I are never going to hear well done if we have never done anything, right? Do you hear what I'm saying? Do something. That's what, that's what the guy in San Diego who came out of my church, Miles McPherson, said, wrote a book, Do Something. Pastor Chuck did what he could. He stepped out. He took chances with people like me. He took chances with people like Mike McIntosh. You hear Mike McIntosh's story? The guy, the guy thought he had been on a, on a drug trip, and he thought for a long time that half of his, his brain, half of his head was blown off. He thought it wasn't even there. I mean, that's how far gone he was. You've got to read his story, hear his story. It's insane. But, but God, he gave people like Mike and other people like him chances, and, and, and God... God has used Mike McIntosh in incredible ways all around the world. And this church is a fruit of that. My life is a fruit of that. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. And, and this idea is really, to me, it's about the goodness of God. That God... Pastor Chuck wasn't perfect. Not one of us is perfect, but, but Chuck knew the God who is good. And that light shined through him. He was, you just saw the goodness of God in him. It wasn't the goodness of Chuck, and he would say that. It was the goodness of God. Well done, good. You and I, as we, as we taste and see, the psalmist said, taste and see that the Lord is good, then that goodness kind of can come through us. As we, are, as we are partaking, as we are reading, as we're, as we're, as we're letting the Word, as we, we talked the last few weeks, letting the Word of God come into us and, and hiding the Word in our hearts, and as we're in fellowship and letting the goodness of the Holy Spirit uh, work in us and through us, being yielded to the God who is good. You say, well, as soon as I get to be good, then I can maybe uh, head down this path. You'll never head down this path. I'll never had done this. If, if you think you're already good enough, then you got a pride issue and you got to get that straightened out before you can do anything anyways. The third thing he said, faithful. If there's one thing that, that comes back to me over and over and over again in, in just being a servant of God is that we need to be faithful. We need to be faithful. It, I read this in a devotional the other day out of Revelation 2.10. It says, be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful to the very end. This word faithful, I look at it in two ways. One is faithful that you're faithful to show up. You are there. You're, you know, you, if you have a faithful friend, they are there when you need them, right? 
If someone is a faithful employee, they're there. You know, they're, they do the job. They're there. They're faithful. But also the other side of this, the, the, uh, the word faithful, being full of faith, is that you trust in God to do it. You're faithful to show up, but you're faithful also to know that God is the one who's going to do it. You have faith in Him to do it. You can't do it. I can't do anything. I can't. You know, that's manipulation if I try to make you do something, make you act a certain way. It's God that's got to do the work in you. And, and I just have to let God do the work in me. And hopefully through His Word, He's going to reach into your life by the Spirit of God, by the power of God. He's going to do something in you. But, but I have to hold on to that every time. God, you've got to do something. I've got to hold on to Him. Pastor Chucky kept going, though... It, you know, most people don't know the kinds of trials that Chuck faced, the kinds of troubles, kinds of adversity that he faced. He faced more than you and I would, will ever know and probably more than you and I will ever experience. But yet he had that smile on his face. Incredible. But he was faithful to the end. He was faithful to show up. They couldn't keep him out of the church, you know. Uh, you, you can go look at this, but this, he died on Thursday morning. Sunday morning, he was in his church preaching. He had his oxygen, you know, in his nostrils there. Incredible. That's, that's a picture of it there that on the far right corner. It's hard to see, but you can almost see the little the plastic tube there in his, on the side. He was preaching there Sunday morning. Three services, mind you. Three services... And the, the next day or the day after that, he had a, a meeting with the leaders of the church at his house. They made a dinner for them. I'm sure he probably didn't cook it, but they had a dinner for them at his house. And Thursday morning, he passed away. He, he was faithful to the end. He could have retired. You know, people were saying, Yo, you ought to retire, Chuck. You know, you ought to take it easy. You know, you're getting up there, you're facing this lung cancer. He never smoked a cigarette in his life, but he had lung cancer. But Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, he said, for, for the which cause I also suffer these things. He said, nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I know who I have believe, believed in. And I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that. That, that, that was something we saw in Chuck. He, he, he knew Jesus. He just knew Jesus. He, just, he didn't talk about it all the time. He didn't, in fact, he didn't talk a lot about his own personal life that much. But it was something you could just see. The last thing there, make me a servant. He said... Well done, good and faithful servant. And, and uh, Chuck was an example of, of just serving. You know, he wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty. He wasn't afraid to pick up trash or cigarette butts in the parking lot. He showed us how to be servants. He, he wasn't afraid to get in there. And, and in his earlier days, he was in there doing construction and, and whatever it needed to be done. He was, he was a servant. He wasn't above everybody else. He was never, ever had that. You never got that impression that he was above in some kind of, uh, you know, spiritual, you know, way. Bill, uh, again, 
This is Bill, by the way. We were talking this morning, and, and, he, and he, talk, he met Chuck, and he said, Chuck, what should I, what should I call you? And he says, you, he just told me this, you can call me everything but reverend. <laughs> well done, good and faithful servant. I want to hear those words too. What an example. What, what a model for me, for you, for each one of us. One more passage as we close, 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we will close there, and, and uh, we'll just read it quickly. We're going to have communion as well. 2 Timothy chapter 4, and verse 6 and 7. He said, uh, I'm in 1 Timothy. That's why that doesn't look familiar. <laughs> Second Timothy. He says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have long for his appearing. I want to be in that group. I have fought the good fight. Paul the Apostle was writing these words. He knew that his, his life was going to be ended very, very soon. And he says, I, I have fought the good fight. We need to fight. It's a good fight. It's a good fight because he's a good God and we fight to the end. He says, I finished the race. I got to the finish line. And he says, I've kept the faith. And you and I need to keep the faith and hold on to Jesus Earlier in that passage, chapter 4, 2 Timothy, he tells Timothy, who was like one of his, um, one of the young men that he was investing in, that he was raising up, he, he tells him to preach the word. He tells him to, to keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist. And he says to discharge all the duties of your ministry. He tells him those things. And then he says those words. Pastor Chuck, he said, and he modeled all these same, thing, same things, and he left us. What an example. One final thought, as I remind you of what it said back in the first passage we looked at, Ecclesiastes, where it says, death is the destiny of every man. He says, take it to heart. Death is the destiny of every man. Each of us are going to die unless God comes and takes us back to, him, to himself. But, but 100%. The one who died for our sins, the one who was buried, as we're going to take communion now, the one who rose from the dead, the question is, do you know him? That's the, the question. That's what Pastor Chuck, would, 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 who gave his life for that, that these young people in Cal Southern California, lost young people, that they, he had a heart, and him and Kay had a heart, that, that they would know Jesus Christ and that they would uh, have an entrance into heaven when they die. Do you know him? That is the only way that you and I will get into heaven is through knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our Savior. But you can know him. You can right now. And you can ask him in. If you do not know him, uh, before we partake in communion, we're going to pass out the cup and the bread. You can, you can simply ask him into your life. You can, you can pray and receive him. 
You can say, Jesus, come into my life. We're going to pray in a minute. You can pray along with me. But, but it's your choice, and he will never force himself on you. Do you know him? Are you willing to give him a chance in your life? And I'll tell you what, my life has never been the same. Never been the same. I was one of those lost young people, and, and I was heading for some trouble. Believe me, I was. Let's pray together, shall we?